Welcome to another mini episode of the Superpowered Fancast. This is Darren. So, I'd be remiss as a fan if I didn't bring up one of the movies that kind of snuck in under the radar this summer that is based on a comic book property. And I can't even necessarily say it snuck in under the radar because there was, you know, a lot of hype and talk about it and as as fans we really wanted to see it and three out of the four of us actually went to go see it and it is X-Men Apocalypse now the reason why we haven't talked about it is something I'll get into but I guess I should just go ahead and just and just say the reason why this this mini episode is going to be called an exercise in things not earned so that should kind of give you an idea of how I felt about this movie. So, and I, I cannot begin to tell you how excited I was for this movie. See, X-Men First Class gave me hope that Fox could deliver a good X-Men movie. And even though I was hesitant about Brian Singer returning to the franchise, he delivered a quality sequel in X-Men Days of Future Past. Now, with the promise of a new timeline in which to work with, there were several directions that they could have gone in. Now, as jazzed as I was to see the after credit scene in Days of Future Past with Apocalypse, I was worried that they were moving a little fast. See, Apocalypse is a Thanos-level villain and deserves to be a threat that is built up to, not thrown in because he hasn't been done before. And that's exactly what it felt like. So, I, I know at this point... X-Men Apocalypse has been out for a while and one of the main reasons why it has taken so long for any of us to talk about it is the fact that even though three out of the four of us saw it, it just wasn't that good or interesting enough to talk about. Now, we promise that we'll definitely from this point forward attempt to make our reviews timelier and relevant, but just wanted to get this one off my chest because I've been thinking about it so much lately, especially now that it's going to be coming out on Blu-ray and digital soon. But see, I've given the Fox Marvel movies a wide berth for many years, and I believe that I've become good at separating the Fox Marvel universe from the Marvel from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we all know. I don't go into a Fox X-Men movie expecting a Marvel Cinematic Universe film, but I do expect a good one. And unfortunately, this wasn't it. So I will also be spoiling huge portions of the movie. So if you decide to see it, feel free to go see it and come back and listen. If you decide to go forward, know what you're getting into. So the film begins in Egypt with En Sabanur, Apocalypse, beginning a transformation that will increase his power. Now he is escorted by his four horsemen. He's always had four horsemen of Apocalypse I guess, hence the name, uh, who lead him through a procession of people to his pyramid. Now, as the ceremony begins, a group of his human guards betray him and attempt to kill him. Now, his horsemen use their powers to protect him and allow the ceremony to be completed. Now, they sacrifice themselves as the pyramid is leveled to the ground, trapping Apocalypse beneath the earth. Now, keep this in your mind, because it will be the last time in the film any of Apocalypse's horsemen are useful. So Moira McTaggart, who we haven't seen since X-Men First Class, 
returns and is investigating something in Cairo. Now, what is she investigating? Doesn't matter. (laughs) She's just there to discover cultists attempting to resurrect Apocalypse, which they succeed in doing. Now, Apocalypse wakes up in 1983 and apparently doesn't like the progression of the world without his influence. I don't know, maybe it's the pastel colors or the shoulder pads, but, you know, there's just stuff he just doesn't like. (laughs) Which we'll never really find out and won't really get into because, you know, plot. Now, considering his worshippers tried to kill him, maybe a little self-reflection might be in order, but nah. There seems to be no real story behind Apocalypse other than he's ancient and evil. There's no indication that his motivation to reshape the world for the strong is based on anything. I mean, maybe like 10 minutes to show how En Sabanur was shaped and his philosophy might have been helpful. I mean, there's so much, there's such a rich tapestry of comic book stories they could have, you know, taken from to explain Apocalypse's backstory, and they just, I guess, decided not to use any of it. Now, after he awakens, the first actual mutant we see is Aurora Monroe, or Storm. Now, she's a pickpocket, a la Oliver Twist, over the group of other pickpocket children, which makes sense to her backstory. Now, Apocalypse is walking around with a hood over his head, watching her, and saves her from a group of men who are trying to punish her for stealing by killing them all. Now, for some reason, this engenders gratitude from her, and she joins him as his first horseman. Now, there's no reason for her to join him, but, hey, you know who Storm is, right? That's why, at least I guess according to the writers. Now, one of the themes that has always been prevalent in the X-Men comics is the notion that mutants are hated and feared for what they are. X-Men has, for its entire run been an allegory for the struggle for civil rights against racial discrimination. Now, the movies, with the exception of a couple of scenes across all the previous films, make mention of this fact, but never really address it. It's always been my contention that if Fox ever wanted to scale down and make an X-Men film that actually dealt with those issues, then the story they should start with is God Loves, Man Kills by Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson. Now, the story is self-contained, and touches on all the conflicts inherent in the X-Men universe. You clearly see the divide between Xavier and Magneto. There are wonderful scenes with all of the X-Men dealing with the real-world implications of the fear of mutants, and you have an all-too-human villain who uses the fear of the mutant minority to sway the public. Unfortunately, we won't see that, because they took most of the plot points from that story and used them in X-2, which was actually a really good movie, But God Loves, Man Kills is a better story. So Jean Grey is introduced after having a nightmare about Apocalypse, and Charles Xavier dismisses it. See, Charles is the most powerful telepath on the planet, and Jean's power rivals his own along with her telekinesis, but her ominous vision is ignored out of hand? Why? So instead of seeing the world that hates and fears mutants, we're shown a world that seems to tolerate mutants. There's no love for them, but there's no overt animus as well. Now, Mystique, who I refuse to call Raven, has become an underground hero to mutants, goes to an underground fight club and sees Angel fighting Nightcrawler, because you know who those two mutants are too, right? 
see, Angel in the comics is Warren Worthington III, one of the richest kids in the world, but he's in an underground mutant fight club for no reason whatsoever. I mean, Nightcrawler beats Angel, injuring his wing, and Mystique breaks up the club, rescuing Nightcrawler. See, Mystique takes Nightcrawler to Caliban in order to secure transport to America. Now, although Caliban does not have those powers, Nightcrawler is sent. You see, later at the same location, Apocalypse arrives and recruits Angel. He then goes to see Caliban. Caliban is being guarded by Psylocke, who is only guarding him because we know who Psylocke is. Caliban, who was a horseman of Apocalypse in the comics, is ignored, and Psylocke is recruited. So this leads to one of my biggest pet peeves with this movie. After recruiting Angel, he takes his natural wings away and replaces them with metal wings, which is canon. I mean, which turns him into Archangel. Archangel. But every other horseman, and I put horseman in quotation marks, that he recruits seems to only be recruited because they are X-Men that we know from the comics. Every single one of them is recruited with the promise of enhancing their powers, but you never see any evidence of it beyond, Cycli- by, beyond Psylocke's psychic knife getting just a little bit longer. So next, we're introduced to Cyclops. So in a scene that makes sense in the canon of X-Men, and Alex takes him to Xavier. See, Cyclops manifests his powers. He manifests them in school. Again, makes perfect sense. He, you know, shoots his optic blast out of his eyes and takes out a bully. Completely understandable. Canon. It, it was a good scene. I actually like the fact that they went there and just had it happen. And the fact that they kind of switched the ages between Alex and uh, and Scott, it it bothered me for a second, but I was able to roll with it. But see, Alex takes him to Xavier, where he meets Jean for the first time. Now, Alex tells Scott that Xavier will teach him how to use his powers, but I'm going to tell you all, that doesn't happen. No one gets taught anything. It's just one transition to another that makes little to no sense. See, Magneto is living like a hobo in Poland for some reason. He has a wife and daughter, and after using his powers to save a co-worker, the local militia finds out who he is and attempts to capture him, accidentally killing his wife and child. So what happens? Magneto murders them, and Apocalypse takes him to Auschwitz to recruit him, literally the only one of the horsemen who would seemingly have motive to want to join. So Apocalypse has assembled an entire team and is putting his plan into motion, Xavier has ignored Jean's visions and talked to Mora once. So let's be clear, Charles Xavier is the most powerful telepath on the planet, but he seems to be completely clueless about everything going on around him. Xavier has his students on campus and spends no time with them. At no point are these students seemingly taught anything. So what do they do? They leave campus and go see a movie at the mall, which is another wasted use of the character Jubilee. I mean, seriously, Marvel and Fox, if you're listening, stop trying to shove Jubilee down our collective throats. 
she has never been an interesting character. I mean, ever since she was introduced as a character back in 1989, she has yet to do anything of any real note in the world. She has been so much of a non-entity that she had to not only take away her powers and turn her into a vampire just to find a way of keep of keeping her presented in the books. I mean, come on. So anyway, back to the movie. So Xavier is using Cerebro to scan for Magneto after Mystique returns to the mansion for awkward exchanges with Beast, Xavier, and Havoc. It's the Apocalypse, whose powers are so ill-defined that he can seemingly do anything, takes control of Xavier's mind and forces every global superpower to simultaneously launch all of their nuclear weapons into space. Then... They go to the mansion to kidnap Xavier, leading to the reintroduction of Quicksilver. See, Havoc causes an explosion trying to rescue Xavier, and Quicksilver shows up because, plot, and rescues all of the students as the mansion is exploding. While this is a great scene, it signifies nothing as far as the overall plot is concerned. It is designed to remind you of how cool the scene in Days of Future Past was. That's all it was there to do. Apparently, Xavier finds out Magneto is his father and wants Xavier's help to find him. Or, convenient plot point is established in order to shoehorn in Quicksilver's scene to remind audiences why they went to see the last film. So after the mansion explodes and Xavier disappears, William Flipping Stryker shows up and knocks out everybody. How did he show up? Where has he been, considering Mystique was impersonating him in the last movie? How did he know about the explosion? How did he get there so fast? These were literally the questions I was asking while we were watching this movie. I have finally found the answer. (sighs) After capturing Beast, Mystique, Quicksilver, and Moira, and leaving all the other kids behind, they are taken to Alkali Lake from X2, which literally made me groan because I knew what was coming next. Cyclops, Nightcrawler, and Jean sneak their way onto a chopper and make their way to Alkali Lake. Even though Jean can read people's minds, she makes no attempt to discover where anyone is or how they can set them free. Instead, we are led to the Weapon X program and, you guessed it, Wolverine. In the resulting chaos of the prison break, they accidentally released Wolverine. But not just any Wolverine. Weapon X Wolverine. Here's a little backstory. In 1991, artist and writer Barry Windsor Smith illustrated the iconic version of Weapon X Wolverine. See, this version was the feral Wolverine with the metal helmet and electrodes coming coming from outside his body. I mean, the, the, just like the wires and tubes and things just stuck all over him that he was pulling out and he just looked like feral and animalistic. That was the Barry Windsor Smith Wolverine, the Weapon X Wolverine. They created the look for the film. And as a Wolverine fan, I thought that I would be excited, but the moment just seemed forced. 
There seemed to be no reason for the introduction of Wolverine other than to have him in the movie Killing Soldiers. Putting him in this movie for that purpose just screams of desperation. It's like they aren't confident enough in the material that they have, so they need to shove everything into the movie to try and elicit a response from the fans. This is what seemed to bother me the most about Apocalypse's pick for his horsemen. With the exception of Magneto, he only chose X-Men. Of every character available, the filmmakers decided that the only characters that Apocalypse could choose from were heroes. Also, there's no indication either through the plot or through dialogue that he actually did anything to enhance their abilities. So why did they join him and why were they so loyal? Ultimately, that question doesn't really need to be answered, either as their purpose becomes a joke when they are shown to be completely useless. See, Apocalypse has Magneto take control of the Earth's magnetic poles in order to destroy the world and kill as many people as possible. Now, all of you people that hated on Man of Steel for the destruction are going to really hate the destruction in X-Men Apocalypse. So Apocalypse has decided to transfer his consciousness into Xavier's body and enslave whoever survives. So Xavier, of course, contacts Jean and gives her his location. Now, he had no trust in her whatsoever beforehand, did not believe anything, but now that he's in trouble, now all of a sudden he needs Jean's help. So after breaking everyone out and getting into their snazzy black uniforms that are conveniently located on their way to escaping the base, Mystique decides to give them a pep talk as they make their way to Cairo and Apocalypse's new pyramid. Now, none of these kids have been trained to use their powers in a combat situation because their teacher has completely ignored the threat that they face, but that doesn't matter. They easily rescue Xavier, turn Storm good, defeat Angel and Psylocke, who just run away, and convince Magneto to stop trying to kill everybody long enough for Xavier to fight Apocalypse on the astral plane. Now, see, the astral plane stuff, I didn't mind because it was the only time where Apocalypse actually exhibited a power that he has in the comics. See, Cyclops and everyone else are attacking Apocalypse in the real world, and without warning, preamble, or purpose, Jean goes full-on Phoenix, incinerating Apocalypse. Please, a little more backstory. The Phoenix Force is a manifestation of the forces of life and passion in the Marvel Universe. It is a living force of nature traveling the universe without form until it adopted one on a trip to Earth. It has been trapped in the Imkron crystal and escaped. It has traveled across the multiverse. At no point was Jean Grey ever born with the Phoenix Force already inside of her. She always acquired the Phoenix abilities, and struggled to deal with them. The X-Men movies from X2 forward have continued to try and force the idea that this power is always a part of her, and if she's pushed too far, will manifest. So when Jean becomes Phoenix in X-Men Apocalypse, I was pissed because it was the ultimate deus ex machina. Phoenix will solve all. It just wasn't earned. They never earned that moment. And that's the thing that bothered me the most about that moment in the film. So in the end, Xavier gets back with Moira. Magneto and Jean rebuild the school. Quicksilver does not tell Magneto that he's his son for some stupid reason. And Beast and and Mystique start training Cyclops, Jean, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Quicksilver 
as X-Men in a scene that if it happened earlier in the film might have made some basic sense to the overall plot. Also, there's a post credit scene that hints at Mr. Sinister's Mr. Sinister. So my biggest complaint with this film is not one of is that not one of the iconic moments that they put on the screen felt earned with what they have established with this universe. Everything seemed like it was forced in to try and appeal to comic book fans, and as a fan, I was not impressed. The whole time I'm looking at some of these scenes, I'm thinking to myself, why wasn't this in this in this movie? You want to give me the Barry Windsor Smith Wolverine? Fine. You should have put it in the first Wolverine solo movie. You want to show Phoenix? Fine. You have the Star Jammers and the Shi'ar as part of your universe. Craft a plot like the Dark Phoenix Saga, which you can stretch across two or three movies and earn the Phoenix. It's like they took all the ground they made up with X-Men First Class and Days of Future Past and decided to go X3 X-Men United on us. Throw in a bunch of mutants and plot lines and see what sticks. So if you like the movie, let me know why. I am always open to the possibility that I might be wrong and differing opinions are always welcome. So email me at superpoweredfancast at gmail.com Submit comments on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash superpoweredfancast, or rate and review this mini-episode on iTunes and let us know what you would like to hear in future mini-episodes. Either way, if you're a fan, go see it. If you like Brian Singer, go see the movie. I'm not telling you what to do or what isn't, or what to do or what not to do. I'm just going to tell you what my opinion was. And my opinion was, I just didn't really like it. It had the potential to be good, and it just couldn't really deliver. Anyway, it won't stop me from seeing more movies in the future, because I'm a fan. So what we do. Now, this is Darren from Superpowered Fancast saying, see you next time. <laughs>